Hello, and welcome to Living It Radio. I'm Kelly DiNardo, here with Amy Pierce Hayden. We are the authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. Through our book and this podcast, we aim to make the principles of yoga alive, active, accessible, and personal. On this podcast, we go deeper into the topics we address in the book by talking to compelling people who can help us live an inspired, connected, joyful life. I regard myself as a soldier, though a soldier of peace. Once upon a time, not long ago, there was a boy who would grow and become a great soul. He lived in India, and his name was Gandhi. He believed in human rights. And You're listening to hip-hop musician and yoga instructor MC Yogi, who has become known for blending yoga with hip-hop, reggae, and electronic music, and is a leading voice in the emerging genre of conscious music. He's also an artist and the author of a memoir, Spiritual Graffiti, Finding My True Path. In this interview, we talk to MC Yogi about his journey from juvenile delinquent to best-selling musician and yoga teacher, the role discipline, discernment, and devotion played in overcoming his own harmful behaviors, how and why he integrates yoga into hip-hop, and his mission to bring good music and good energy to the world. MC Yogi, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. So we're going to just dive right in because we have so much we want to cover today. Um, I We both just finished reading your book, Spiritual Graffiti, which we loved. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. You it were, made me cry half of the time. Every time you were waiting for signs and omens with Amanda, it would just, I would like, I was crying quite a bit reading the book, actually. Wow. I, I was very moved. You were really open about the turmoil in your childhood. Can you elaborate a little bit about that now for us? Um, well, you know, it's not unlike most people's um, upbringing, you know, as product of divorce, uh, came from, you know, broken family and I was the oldest of three. So I was, I was eight years old and my parents divorced. So it kind of hit me the, the hardest. Um, mm-hmm. my brother and sister, you know, I kind of tried to take care of them and, um, but I ended up kind of, you know, just kind of breaking away from the family and going out, you know, with, you know, drugs and alcohol and, you know, I got sort of mixed up with, uh, kids who were selling drugs and violence and guns and stuff like that. But it, you know, I, I came from a good family, you know, I, I had really had a great childhood, but it was when I was eight years old that things started to crack and break open and split apart. And I found myself kind of lost in between my, you know, the gap between these two families that were drift, you know, two sides of my family drifting further and further apart. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, I just struggled. And there's a lot in the book that I don't talk about, but, um, you know, it, it just sort of set me on this path that, you know, I was failing out of school. I got kicked out, I think like three schools. Um, and I'm an artist and I, you know, I'd get F's in art. So I just, I really was just so disconnected and turned off and numb. And, you know, I started doing drugs re- really young and, um, running around, running away from home and then, um, got arrested. I, you know, I became a graffiti artist and was out, you know, late night, you know, stealing my dad's car and painting on trains and under overpasses and, um, you know, some friends getting mixed up in, in really dark things like suicide and, and overdrug, uh, overdosing on drugs. And, and so, it, you know, I was just kind of in this downward spiral, this chaotic spiral. And then I, I finally got kicked out of uh, one of the high schools and I got kicked out of the continuation school. And then I eventually got sent over to uh, live in a group home 
for about two and a half years. And that's when my life started to slowly turn in the opposite direction because I, I, I really just didn't have any structure. There was, you know, my, mm-hmm. the foundation, like the daily routines, um, you know, I was, I was all over the place, you know, kind of falling between the cracks, you know, uh, really skip, you know, I, I'd rarely go to school. I'd show up in the morning and then I'd be gone all day just getting in trouble. Um, and then after the group home, though, I slowly started, things started to, there was a glimmer, but then it got kicked out of there too. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> but you were determined. You wrote letters back, right, to get back in. I think you have this determination that's a thread for you continuously that yeah, well, must have helped that. Well, I always had, a, I always had, you know, as an artist, I always had this desire to improve. Um, I didn't really care about school too much because I didn't really feel like what was being taught necessarily applied to my life. Um, I mean, there's basic things that, you know, we all need to learn English, math, science, all that stuff is super helpful. And I, I would never want to denigrate school because I think education is so valuable. And even now later in life, I, you know, I've, I found myself just, I, I, I'm constantly educating myself and learning. Um, I wish I would, I, I would have had more of an interest but I really didn't feel connected to, at first I got kicked out of Catholic school, then I got kicked out of public school. And um, I didn't really feel like what I was being taught was really, um, I don't know, I'm a very sort of tactile artistic person and I just wasn't being engaged in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a good fit for me. I felt like I was on a conveyor belt just waiting to get a stamp on my forehead so I can go on to the next grade and learn all the other, you know, more useless information that wasn't really going to, point my life in the direction that was interesting and joyful. So the structure that the group home provided me gave me a platform where I was able to start to turn my life around. But it was when I left that program when I was 17 that I had discovered that my dad had started practicing yoga after a a near fatal car accident that I was actually in the car with him when it happened. I didn't realize at the time when the car spiraled off the cliff and, um, my sister and brother were in the car with me. We almost went over the edge of the gorge or you know, into the valley below. But it was almost like, um, the way I remember it, it was like a you know, defensive linebacker of angels were just kind of holding the car so we didn't keep sliding. So we came out of that accident. And I talk about a little bit in the book, that accident happened in the exact midway point between my mom's house and my dad's house. And the divorce had just got finalized. And it felt like, um, yeah, you know, I talk about how the, the car, it was like a crumpled piece of paper because it was just totaled. And it was like the end of a chapter. It was like my innocence and my childhood, you know, it, it was kind of that, that phase was done. And it kind of marked that moment with that crash. Now, I didn't know that that crash sent my dad um, to his first yoga class. And he started to have um, a real trans- transformative experience through yoga meditation and that led him on his journey uh, my dad came out of the closet when I was eight years old um, so I was growing up you know in California in the 80s with a gay father at the time uh, you know the word faggot was like just common you know usage and with it all my friends and um, and you had to hide it yeah and it was hard you know and that it, but my dad being gay turned out to be one of the greatest blessings in my life and um, and I say that because my dad on his journey and his path to heal um, and to really step into his truth and live the life that he was meant to live, it really created a, a ripple effect and, and it, 
in a way it gave me permission to to find and discover my own true path and and he shared with me yoga not because he ever told me to practice in fact he tried to persuade me not to um and i don't even think it was like a ploy or a trick i just think he genuinely didn't think because i was into graffiti and hip-hop and break dancing and partying and girls and loud music and um I think for him, he thought there was no way I would ever want to sit and be still or breathe or stretch. Mm-hmm. And But I saw that he was – this glow was like taking over his life. Like he was more calm. He was more relaxed. He was more content. He was more happy. He was more generous, more chill. And so I just started to um, question, like, what, what's going on? Like, what what, what are you doing? And he, and he said, it's yoga, but you probably wouldn't like it. And that's what drove me to my first class. So. <laughs> And then that, that just kind of opened the, the floodgates to just this whole journey and path that I've been on that's taken me around the world to India and studying with incredible teachers and masters. And uh, yeah, I talk a lot about that in the book. You talk a lot about grace in the book. And I'm curious if you thought those, the multiple accidents that you were in, were was grace saving you at the moment or is it more reflective and and when you think about grace, what role does that play in, in how things have changed for you? Well, it's a great question. And the answer is, is yes, it was grace because I was always one breath away from, from death. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was jumped by a gang. I was beaten black and blue, you know, blood all over the pavement. My face cracked. Like, you know, I could have died that night. You know, I was, I was, I, I talk about some of the accidents I was in. I left out a, a couple of other car accidents I was in because I figured no one would ever want to drive with me again. <laughs> <laughs> and so there were so many times where, you know, it was so close, you know, so many brushes with death. Um, you know, there was one time I flipped the car because we used to steal my dad's car. And we just, I mean, we were just, we we're, you know, me and my friends were just, we were crazy. You know, it's amazing that, that I survived. At one time I'd flipped the car and I slid for about two, 300 feet um, with the glass and sparks showering me as I was like pressing against the steering wheel because the, the concrete was on my side as the car was sliding. And, you know, there's just, you know, so many moments when I do reflect and I, I see how benevolent the universe is and how graceful, um, you know, some of the most you know, just difficult and painful situations have been because every time I've had to go through some struggle, some suffering, there's always been a silver lining or, or a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, something I had to go through that in order to uh, essentially wake up and realize that, wow, like that life is a gift. Life is precious. Life is a blessing. Like, and it took, I, you know, I'm such a, a numbskull. It took me so many, so many times to really just kind of rattle me and shake me and, and until I was awake. And um, I'm very, I feel very grateful and very fortunate um, to have, you know, lived through all those things. And, and I know there's people that have lived through way more than me. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think my, my life is really special. I just feel like uh, I just feel very grateful because there's a lot of times where that could have been it. Yeah. You also talk a lot about discipline, discernment, and devotion as being guides for you. Can can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Well, one of the things I talk about um, in the book, I talk about those three keys or those three Ds. And it's not that I have any sort of uh, mastery over any of that. In fact, it's really quite the opposite. Like those three ideals or, or, 
or lights are just kind of reminders for me that when I get off track, which I am constantly in the process of getting off track, it kind of brings me back and points me in the direction and steers me to where I need to go. Um, discipline is like there needs to be some structure. And I, I really struggle with that because I didn't really have structure growing up. And I have, you know, the early on when, you know, there was doctors and, and therapists and they were trying to test me and, and they, you know, they thought I was clinically depressed and that they were, they were trying to treat me with Ritalin and, you know, said maybe I have ADD and all these things. Really, I just feel like it's my artistic mind. Um, my mind can stretch extremely far and it can hold a lot of contents at once. It's not just, you know, singular. There's like a constellation of projects, songs, poems, designs, ideas, dreams. And I'm constantly going one to the other. I'm working on all of them simultaneously. Um, and if anyone like is an artist or a writer or a photographer or anything or you know, you know what it's like to just have a big messy room, but you know where everything is and it's all in process. Well, that's not typically like the linear way that you get taught in school. Mm-hmm. In school, it's like, you know, you, you got to check out the boxes and make sure you answer correctly. Um, and it's very, um, I just wasn't meant to fit into that sort of industrialized system. And so the, di- the discipline for me was not succumbing to anyone else's agenda. Or, or falling or fitting into anyone else's, um, you know, superimposed structure. It was for me, it was like figuring out my own system, my own structure, my own rhythm, my own path, my own routine. And that's still a work in progress. And then the devotion um, is really kind of those three work together because the devotion is like, if you really love what you're doing, you're going to do it. Even if you don't get paid, you're going to do it. If even if no one really cares, like, because you love it so much, there's going to be a natural momentum. And once you fall into that pattern or that habit of just like right now, I'm teaching myself how to do a uh, uh, drawing on the iPad, which I just started, you know, recently. And I'm just, you know, it's like a whole new world for me because I've always been drawing on, on walls. Uh, <laughs> and so the devotion, you just, you follow the feeling like, you know, you love this. If, if you love something, it's like, it is an omen. It is a sign. What you love glows and you're attracted to it. But the discernment, that final piece is so important because once you have the structure and the devotion and you're doing what you love and you're doing it regularly, you have to be able to discern, um, for example, like infatuation. If you fall in love with someone, well, you know, there's always the initial sort of excitement of falling in love with something. But then you could dig really shallow um, wells. And if you don't stay with something all the way through, then you're never really satisfied. So my life has always been like a big work in progress. Like the things that I started doing when I was 12 years old, like painting graffiti, I still do it today. When I started practicing yoga, 17, I still do it today. When I started making music when I was like 13 or 14, I still do it today. But I create, I've created a... Um, uh, uh, a constellation or an atmosphere of all the different things I love so I can keep going back to them. But it's not a straight line. Like one day I'm like, dude, I really feel like I, I got to write this song. So that day I'm just like, I'm, I'm crafting, I'm banging out words, paragraphs, hooks, melodies, like really in it. Then the next day I put it on the shelf because sometimes you can get too close to something and you can lose sight of it. So I then I'll go pick up my pad and I'll start drawing the next day. 
Um, but it's all pointing, all those three things, the discipline, the discernment, the devotion, are all pointing toward one thing, which is destiny. And mm. I think it's really refreshing to hear you say that your life is, you know, that the idea of a constellation is there because I certainly feel like that's how, at least as an adult, my life has unfolded, where I think it's going in one direction. It might take a turn for a while because I need some other bit of information or a different experience to inform. Exactly. What, where I think I'm going or where I should be going. Yeah, and I think sometimes we, we can get really judgmental and critical of like, oh, you know, you're not finishing this or whatever. But what I found is that oftentimes projects have their own lifespan and they don't always fall in line with like the time frame you think they should happen. Um, and that's a luxury because not everyone has that ability to just have an art project going for like a year you know, or a painting that they're working on. And I think that luxury comes from you doing it for yourself as your own therapy, your own practice. Um, the moment you have to turn around and turn that into a commodity and sell it and put it out into the market, it, it, it changes. Uh, but I find the greatest works of whether it's like literature or, or music or oftentimes like the, the pieces that people are working on just for themselves, like they really love, you know, what they're creating, what they're crafting. And then typically, like, if you really infuse something with a lot of love, people come around, they appreciate it as well. They can feel that heart that you put into it, that soul, that, you know, that, that thing that you've crafted. Well, you grew up drawing and experimenting with graffiti, freestyling and performing hip hop. And for a while, I think you said you even dreamed about becoming a comic book artist. But yes. here you are, you became MC Yogi. And so how does how does that happen? How does that happen? How does that happen? How did that happen? How, how did that happen? <laughs> Well, I think it's um, it happens in a really messy way. Yeah, you know, it happens organically. Yeah, it happens organically. It happens uh, in, in a very with like exactly as you're saying, unexpected twists and turns. You know, this is not something that I ever set out. I never in a million years, if you would have told me that I would be in the wellness industry or the fitness industry, which is so weird to me. Um, I, I never, if I were in high school, I I, I just would have I would have peed a little bit. I, it would. <laughs> Imagine one of your psychics telling you that at the age of fifteen. Oh, you're gonna be, you're gonna be a, a you're gonna rap about yoga. Yeah, and I don't think I, Krishna I don't and- think I would have talked to a psychic <laughs> when I was fifteen. But. <laughs> but no, that's it's true. the The path is, um, it's not always logical or chronological. It's, um, it, you know, what I found in my in my spiritual practice, like practicing yoga and meditation for for close to 20 years, which, you know, now I feel like is, is really just a drop in the bucket. It's, it's, sure. it's just the beginning in a sense. But, um, it, what I've learned, what I'm learning is that, you know, everything we do is, uh, we're creating inroads and pathways back to that space where we're all going to end up, you know, you know, once the body falls and all of our friends and family are going to go, you know, we all have people in our life who we've seen transition. Um, no one gets out alive. And, and really, I think that that is the true power and purpose of any practice, whether it's drawing, writing, singing, rapping, um, painting. It's really to, to put you in close communion with creativity. Because when you're being creative, you're in close proximity with the creator. And ultimately, everything we do is going to lead us back into that, into the arms of the beloved, the creator, that spark, that light, that power, that energy that gave rise to all this, 
that which sustains all this, ultimately we're got, we have to resolve and go back to that. So any practice I have that helps me calm my mind and relax and just know that that is the inevitable outcome of this journey, that I am going to end up back home, back where I began, it brings a level of peace and grace to the process. And then all the superficial stuff of the social medias and the festivals and the brands and the companies and all that stuff that we human beings love to create, to create stability and security, we can remember that those things are just shells and they're not, they're not permanent. They're just ideas and concepts that a bunch of people came up with and they're keeping it going. Some of them are dissolving. Some of them are rising. But, you know, that's why I've always like sort of struggle with structure is because sometimes if a structure is not rooted in nature or spirit or truth, then it can be really jarring Um, and it can, it can, it can. And it can dissipate pretty quickly. Yeah. And it can really, yeah, that's true. It doesn't last. I love that you're talking about this level of faith and devotion and spirituality and that you have blended that with hip hop because historically, certainly when you were growing up and started listening to hip hop. Uh, what are you going to say? I mean, what are you going to say? It's, what are you it's say? known for being charged. And I love the juxtaposition. So talk to us about that. Uh, hip hop is a spiritual art form. It's a, it's a, it's a gathering of the community. It's a, it's a response to violence and, in the Bronx, um, you know, grew out of New York, but it was influenced by so many things. Um, and hip hop is not negative, um, or violent. Our culture is, and hip hop Mm. reflects that, but we so quickly Mm -hmm. put all that stuff onto the youth and we take all the responsibility off of the parents we point a big finger. Yeah, and no one wants to point a finger back at themselves saying, you know, we contributed to creating this culture and this society by what we turned away from or what we agreed with or what we went along with. And um, it goes on today. The youth always get the brunt. We always put, you know, we either want to live vicariously through them or we want to superimpose all our baggage on them. And that that's the those types of systems of thought those structures are um, disabling to artists and musicians because what what young people need is guidance what young people need is uh, inspiration and like my father like my father didn't tell me to what to do he embodied it and because he embodied it it gave me the, the, the lamp of his presence gave me a light that I could follow. But it wasn't anything he said. Um, and I think sometimes we fall into that trap of we love our kids. I don't have kids. Um, we love, you know, we love the youth. But sometimes you love something so much that you suffocate it. Um, and you know, it's always a mirror. It's always a reflection. Hip hop's a reflection. There's great artists out there. There always have been. There always will be. Certainly, all art is a reflection. I yeah, think. and it's it it's also catharsis. You know, I think maybe even the word art is in catharsis. It's in, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's how people deal with the the tension and the trauma of their surroundings, what they're growing up with, and um, some people do it more skillfully than others. I mean, you know, look at the pundits on TV. They're just as bad as a bunch of the gangster rap that I listen to, like, you know. (laughs) 
Probably well, worse. Well, I was going to say, I, at least it's well, bad. It, yeah. At least it's I think bad. it is worse to have a smiling face with all that violence behind it than to have a violent yes. expression that's coming from a place of wanting to, to get free of it. Agreed. Now we're going to take a quick break from our chat with MC Yogi to give a shout out to our show partners. Shambhala Publication is the proud publisher of our book, Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, as well as Anytime Yoga, Fun and Easy Exercises for Concentration and Calm, Shambhala's first yoga book for kids aged 3 to 7 by Ulrike Deze. As a listener of our show, you get 30% off your purchase with code AHIMSA30 at Shambhala.com. That's A-H-I-M-S-A-30, all caps on AHIMSA. Support for Living It is also brought to you by Alchemy Forever, a clean and clinical skincare line developed by Switzerland's top dermatologist. The products are anti-aging, paraben-free, gluten-free, cruelty-free, and ideal for all skin types. Use the code SUTRA20, all caps again, to get 20% off your Alchemy Forever products at alchemy-forever.com. And now, back to our conversation with MC Yogi. It almost seems like you would draw two different types of listeners. Have you have you found that? Or are you I, experiencing Yeah, I don't that? really know who listens, to be honest. Like, um, you know, I go to shows and I meet people and there's, you know, all ages and stuff. And I you go different countries and stuff. But, um, you know, music is like a photograph. It's a snapshot of a moment in time. And then you sort of keep bringing that picture out over and over again because some you know, people related to it, they heard at some point, and then it, it takes on some meaning in their life. So music is really mysterious like that. It's like everyone has their own relationship to a song. A song can mean something totally different to one person than another person in a different phase in their life or in a different region of the country. And um, so I, 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 two listeners, three listeners, thousands, I really don't know. Like I, I, I really try to keep my pen close to the inkwell, like, I try to focus on what I'm listening to and try and, and, and in the past, this is because I've got caught entangled in this net of like trying to make stuff for people that you think they're going to like. And then what happens is you start to, you know, it becomes a commodity again. And you start filtering your work. Yeah. And it starts, it just gets watered down. It's not really, you know, and it's hard. It takes a lot of courage to like share what's inside your heart with, you know, put it out in the, in the world. It's, you know, people beat it up, you know, people are not nice. Um, but then there's a lot of people who love it too. And it kind of balances it out. So did you get a lot of flack from friends or fellow musicians in the hip hop world when you were making this transition? You know, I always, you know, I, I came up sort of like the grassroots, like I always had a lot of love and a lot of support, to be honest mm. with you. Um, I never really was braggadocious or it's just not my nature to kind of, you know, flaunt and brag and, and talk about, um, guns and, and, you know, misogynistic and homophobic and all that kind of sort of cliche stuff that is, that is common, not just in music, but in culture. Um, I, I always sort of, I always try to have fun with it. Like my whole, my whole mission and my whole purpose from a really young age because I spent so much time with my grandparents before they passed. In fact, I was at my grandfather's bedside when he, when he left his body and his last breath blew across my face. I was there when my grandma passed away. She was, she was my first um, religious teacher. Um, and 
in those later years when my grandparents were suffering from dementia and, and I was kind of helping caretake for them, my role was to entertain them. Um, and so I would sing, I would make jokes, um, I'd goof around. My, my grandpa used to always say, man, you should be on TV. And I say, really? He's like, yeah, go up there and fix the antenna. He said, you know, <laughs> so we kind of kid around, but, but that's where my desire to, to bring joy. I really think it came from just spending time with my grandparents in their final years. And, and that joy, it, it, when I started teaching yoga, when I was, you know, in my early, gosh, I was like, you know, 19 or something or 20, um, I wanted to bring that energy of just to, just to like make it less grueling because I, I don't like to exercise, you know. Um, and I just, my whole purpose of my music was just to bring more joy um, and to help fe- people just um, kind of lift lift the spirit, you know, and, and have some fun and, and not take ourselves so seriously, but still be grounded and rooted in, in, in the spirit, but how, feel that energy lift us up together. I don't know. There's something about that. I just, I can't get enough of that. Well, I, I love I was, that. Yeah. I, I say this in yoga a lot that we should be sincere. Both Kelly and I are teachers and studio owners, and this has come out of my mouth more than a few times, but that I, I really think our practice should be really sincere and not so serious. And, and I'm a pretty serious practitioner of yoga, but it, it's the, it's the sincerity, I think that is going to allow for the joy to exist yeah, in our, yeah, pract- in our practices. Right. I think that if, especially when it comes to um, religion, I think, you know, religion can get uptight really quick. Um, and I think it starts, that's when religion becomes divisive and the walls go, go up and you need, there's membership fees and, you know, my, my group is better than your group and da, 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 yada, yada, you know, go down the line. But, but what I right. found, what I love so much about my first yoga teacher who my dad brought me to, his name was Larry Schultz. And he we used to call him Larry the Rocket Man. And he used to travel and teach yoga to the Grateful Dead. And Larry discovered yoga when he was on a trip in Jamaica. And he saw this old man practicing Ashtanga yoga on a rock looking out across the Caribbean. And he was so mesmerized. He was also really drunk, so he didn't know if he was hallucinating. But he was memorized by this old man doing these really fluid, beautiful, graceful movements on this rock. And and the next day, he went back to see if he was there again, and he was. And he asked him, he said, excuse me, sir, what, what is this that you're doing? He'd never seen anything like it. And he says, it's yoga. And he found out it's Ashtanga yoga, which was a, a style of yoga that was taught by Sri K. Patabi Joyce in Mysore, South India, who became my teacher. And um, Larry began um, studying in the early days and, and studied with Patabi Joyce and and a lot of the surfers and hippies who were who were into the practice in the in the 70s and um, Larry set up a studio in San Francisco and it was like it was like just it was the, it was the place man like there's all ages all kinds of weirdos and freaks and like tattoos and just people just practicing and sweating and moving and and it's it was in San Francisco, kind of right, you know, around the dot com boom. So San Francisco was still very wild and rugged, and I was out painting graffiti at night because I was living at the studio. And um, Larry took me under his wing, and he had so much joy and enthusiasm um, that just being around him, I was just completely lit up. And he it, again, it was like my dad, like he gave me this example: what is it like to be um, he was like a king. 
You know, he's like every people would come in. Everyone knew each other. He he knew all the homeless guys out front. He was, you know, he was just like he was just he was like the Godfather for me. He was. He was. His just his energy was big. Like he was joyful. He was wild. He you know it was rock and roll and and that that really like showed me like wow. And he was he was a rule breaker. You know, he was a rebel. He he. He reorganized the structure and the system and made it work for him and his people in his community. Um, in fact, the, I talk about that story in, in the book, Spiritual Graffiti, about how the Grateful Dead, I don't think a lot of people really know, the Grateful Dead really kind of helped <laughs> popularize yoga in America. Um, <laughs> it's really amazing. And so I, that was the examples I grew up with. And um, so my life has been sort of this sort of weird psychedelic yoga music, hip-hop, graffiti, um, twisting, turning journey that just continues to surprise me. And uh, I'm just really grateful to my teachers because I, I've had some amazing examples along the path. Not people that told me what to do, but people that just kind of lit me up by their their love for what they were doing. I love that. It's almost like the example was more important than anyone or more powerful rather than anyone giving you dogma or guidelines or rules or, or even structure, which you said you needed. Yeah, it was like, just find, find your own rhythm was essentially yeah. it. Like get, you know, like Johnny Cash says, get a rhythm. And, <laughs> uh, and I think that, yeah, I just, I look back and smile. I yeah. look back and smile. Okay. I'm going to bring you back to the music for a minute because you're MC Yogi, obviously. Um, <laughs> um, you talk about um, a point in your life where you gave up some music because of the negative content. And then you were just talking now about what, you know, listening to brings you joy. So I, I want, what, what did you give up and what are you listening to now? The well, when I, when, I, when I sort of fell into yoga, I became really, um, I became like a zealot. Like I was really hardcore practicing sometimes all day long. You know, I changed my diet. I was doing all kinds of, you know, interesting experiments, practicing silence for long periods of time, um, cleansing, fasting, meditating, reading all spiritual books. Basically, anything that was not related to yoga, I was just not interested in. Um, so it wasn't mm. just music, but it was just all kinds of stuff, like including people. And um, I kind of drifted away from some of my older friends and lost touch with a lot of those guys. Um, and my life really, I just kind of became kind of monastic and, you know, living like a young monk, like I shaved my head. Uh, I was still drawing, but a lot of my art was sort of reflecting, you know, my interests, which was, you know, the Buddha and Ganesh and, you know, the philosophy, the tradition. And, um, yeah, sometimes you have to say no to something in order to say yes to something else. And that is true. Yeah. So yoga became a big, a big yes. And everything else just kind of faded into the background. Yeah. So what are you listening to now, now that now, now. music and yoga are so important? Oh my important. gosh, I listen yeah. to everything. I really do. I listen to a lot of old, I, I really love soul music. Um, I listen to, I mean, I had just like a really uh, diverse taste in music. But I think the the people I listened to growing up who I still love is like Bob Marley and the Wailers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the BC Boys were a big influence for me, for my generation. Um I love that you got to practice with Mike D in Hawaii. Yeah, Mike was super cool. And uh, it was really his bandmate, Adam Yao, uh, MCA, who he started putting Buddhist philosophy into his music. 
Um, because again, like, you know, we're always like sharing what we're, what we love most. And, and when I heard that song Bodhisattva vow that he did, that really was like, wow, like, that's amazing. Like, I didn't even know that you could do that. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that was grace. That opened a huge door for me. Um, so yeah, but I listen to everything, hip hop, soul, reggae, um, dance music, electronic music, acoustic music. I, I love it all. You know, I really do appreciate just any, anybody who can craft sound. It's just, I'm in awe of that. I, I have one of the BC Boys albums uh, that's instrumental. I'm sure you know it. It's from the mid nineties. You know, one of the songs is Namaste. Yeah, like a, that's probably the in, I think it's like I the in sound, sound from Way Out. Way yeah, out. Yeah, that's a great record. Yeah, that was the first time I ever heard the word Namaste was from a BC Boys record. And in the mid nineties, it's pretty rad. Yeah, that was. Um... Oh my god, I love that you used the word rad, Amy. <laughs> I, think, I think we're all about the same age. If I've done my math yes. right here, so. <laughs> well, I heard there's um, one of my friends, Sharon Gannon, who started Jiva Mukti Yoga over in New York. Mm-hmm. She used to always say that the the root of the word rad or radical comes from the same root as the word radish, and the idea is that to be radical means that you're not on the surface, like you're breaking through. And getting to what's underneath. That's great. And so there's, you know, I love that idea of like our roots radical, like someone who understands that there's more to life than just what we see with our eyes. So Kelly and I, when we were preparing for our season two, as you might know, there we're ha- we have 10 episodes on the Yamas and the Yamas um, as a kind of backdrop. We wanted to talk to you for our episode on Ahimsa because of your personal journey and changing your own self-destructive, harmful behavior, and also for how you're using music that maybe we had a prejudice a moment ago about, (laughs) (laughs) thinking that, you know, there was more aggression, excuse me, or more negativity, and flipping it. But now I'm seeing maybe it's not the flip. Um, What are you thinking a little bit about some of the discussions going on about sexual assault in the yoga systems and also I think in the Ashtanga lineage that's come up has that impacted your practice your view 100% I mean I think it's about time I I think you know the yoga practice is you know shining a light on you know kindness Um, and you know that is a lifelong pursuit to like to strive to be more kind like I struggle every day thinking to myself, oh man, I could have did a better job communicating that, you know, um, or maybe I'm grumpy or I haven't had my coffee or, or whatever it is. Like, um, it's just a, it's like a room. I feel like these teachings are, um, are a lighthouse. You know, they're a reminder that we're all going to, we're all going to drift. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to get lost. We're all going to get confused. Um, and to have those ideals, of ahimsa and satya and uh, steya and brahmacharya and aparigraha, you know, being kind, striving to be truthful, uh, not stealing or taking things that aren't yours, and really honoring and respecting our creative energy, and uh, and not this is the worst one for me is hoarding. Mm-hmm. I, when it comes to comic books, I'm a hoarder. So, that's a, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, you know, all these things are, are put in place. Um, they're the checks and balances. And we all, that's, again, goes back to our, you know, the beginning of our conversation talking about structure and we need structure. We need some kind of um, 
you know, we need some ethical standards. I think it's, uh, it's, it's vital. Um, and I, I think yoga is a brilliant system for that. Like it's, it's not just a physical practice, but there are these jewels, these, these constant reminders of, you know, for the other thing that, that that's really important to address too, is like putting people up on pedestals. Um, you know, we don't really talk about that too much, you know, and, and, as a culture, we love to put people up on a pedestal and then knock them down. And I think mm-hmm. don't put them up on the pedestal in the first place. Like, I, you know, I think we can respect and honor people who have put in a lot of time and have developed skills in a certain area of their life. But that doesn't give people carte blanche permission to just be a tyrant and run over everybody. And um, I think we need to honor people who have put in the work and the time and learn from them in that department, that that genre. But, um, you know, we're all growing. We're all works in progress. And I think the conversation is really healthy. It's important. Uh, Has it changed your practice at all? Um, I'm just really mindful. Like, um, you know, I don't do as much uh, like adjusting as we did in the early days. Um, and maybe that's good because, you know, I know a lot of people got um, injured from, you know, adjusting. Adjusting a yoga For, forceful, yeah, too much aggression, too much again, superimposing your agenda onto someone else, and not really being in tune with their, you know, their breathing, your breathing, um, you know, that's in in regard to the yoga, in in a yoga class, um, and then the music side is like, wow, it's like being a performer. Everybody projects and superimposes all kinds of stuff. And you have to be really skillful and not take any of that personally, the praise or the blame, uh, because it's it's a lot of other people's stuff being, you know, like we talked about earlier about, you know, superimposing all that stuff onto the kids and not taking responsibility for what we're shining on them. Um, I think we do that with celebrities. We do that with rock stars. We do that with politicians. We do that with we do that with our friends and with our family. We're constantly putting our stuff onto other people. And it just, you know, I think all of us can definitely work and strive to develop more ahimsa and just be more kind and more patient and know that everyone's dealing with a heavy burden and just try to be more compassionate. I just reread after, I think I picked it up 20 years ago, When Things Fall Apart, uh, Pema Chodron's, you know, great book. And I think it's the 16th, it's the 15th or 16th chapter she spends time talking about blame mm. and when we're blaming, we ha- there's no room for compassion mm. and that in that space, there can't be any movement toward any kind of healing or in fact, it, it's all a state of himsa. There's, mm. you know, it's all a state of harm and uh, that blame is the first place we should actually begin to take a look at if we're wanting to be more kind and remove violence and yeah it's what you're saying well, you know, and, and looking back at ourselves. that's so brilliant i mean i think a great practice and and the times that i've done this and oftentimes i've done it unwillingly because i've been so angry at someone or felt betrayed or something like that but the time that i've really put myself in the other like my wife amanda is she's just one of the kindest most compassionate people i know and i i feel I mean, talk about grace. I feel so fortunate and blessed. I get to just to spend so much time with her and, and I learned so much from her. And she had me, she, I was going through this process and she says, well, why don't you take a moment and then speak 
as if you were that person that you're angry at and speak from their perspective. What would it sound like? What, what do you imagine that would sound like? And so I, I, I tried it and I was like, no, I can't do it. I tried it again. I was like, no, I just can't do it. She's like, no, no stay with it. And so I was like, okay. And I just started to speak as if I was that person. All of a sudden, I didn't want to change, but there was a shift. And I was like, actually, you know what? I understand their perspective better. And I could see how I was so locked in my opinion and in my judgment that it was like nothing was getting into my hard head. Because we want to be that's right. right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> no, that's so I am yes. always conscious of the time, as Amy knows, my taskmaster job. So we just have one final question for you. The subtitle of Living the Sutras is A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. And what we wanted to do was to help make this wisdom accessible and personal and really relevant to people. So what off the mat practice really helps you stay connected and grounded and at peace with yourself? Um, for me these days, it's really been drawing. Um, mm. And I have an, I actually have an uncle who's into puzzles and he just sits there and he just, he'll do his puzzle. He'll get up, walk away, go back. And, you know, you start with the the corners sometimes when he wants to challenge himself he'll start with the middle piece and i'm like bro you're like you're crushing these puzzles right now <laughs> i'm gonna send him this one i bought of an elephant the entire thing is great it's like in, I, I got so frustrated it was of course a 2000 piece ambitious puzzle that's amazing it was that's like, a big puzzle it was re- it's a big puzzle and i wanted this ambitious project and i think i made it a third of the way through i was on the table in our house at one point for like four months and i it's all gray and so maybe he needs my elephant puzzle well you know maybe <laughs> maybe life is like a puzzle and you know we're just figuring out little things that connect here and there and it's not till we're done that we can really see the big picture but i just was i think you know the the short answer to your question is Anything that's tactile for me, like whether it's drawing or painting, uh, for my uncle it's puzzles, but anything where I, I'm not on my phone or on a device so much, um, even though I am learning how to do the iPad, but anything where I'm just like, you know, my, my, I'm moving, I'm breathing, I'm, and I'm just really relaxed, focused on what I'm doing, seems to bring a tremendous amount of peace. It seems like it's connected to being creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah being close to the creator. Well, thank you so much. We have loved having you on the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. For our listeners who want to find out what you're up to and stay connected, what's the best way for them to to do that? I've got lots of music on Spotify and iTunes and, um, of course, all the social media like Instagram, Facebook, um, all that stuff. But... um, yeah, and I have a, my wife. Uh, my wife is also an artist. She's Ten Thousand Buddhas, is her handle, and she's been on this mission to paint Ten Thousand Buddhas all over the world. Which has been pretty, wow. pretty cool to watch and, and check out her process. Um, and yeah, do you have a new exciting project that's in the works right I'm now? I'm working on a, a new record, and uh, really excited about that. Got some great some songs I feel like are the best songs that, that I've written so far. Uh, yeah, just drawing painting, um, festivals, teaching, and performing. Best of luck to you. We'll, we'll look forward to watching this new album drop. And Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you both, and, and thanks for the, the awesome conversation.
you for listening to Living It. For those of you who want to find out about MC Yogi, where he's teaching or performing, visit mcyogi.com. You can find links to this, as well as more information about the resources we discussed in this episode, in the show notes or at our website, livingitpodcast.com. For those of you interested in deepening your practice while also enjoying the sun and sea, Amy is leading her annual retreat in Mexico December 1st through the 8th. Visit tantramadison.com for more info. For those of you who can't escape to the beach, I'm sorry, but I am also leading an online course on the sutras this fall. Send me an email at kelly at livingitpodcast.com to learn more. I'll also be leading a workshop at the Inn at Woodlock in the Catskills October 4th and 5th. And remember, listeners get 30% off anytime yoga, fun and easy exercises for concentration and calm, and living the sutras at Shambhala with the code AHIMSA30, and 20% off at Alchemy Forever with the code SUTRA20. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so excited to keep doing this. Please share this with your friends. Message us on Instagram at Kelly DiNardo and at Amy Pierce Hayden. Email us through our website, livingitpodcast.com. Subscribe in iTunes. Write a review. We really love doing this, so please help us continue to keep the podcast going. Thanks for listening.